I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> I know some of you are like, this guy again? Oh. Um, uh, just uh, keep John in your prayers. He was supposed to lead music this morning, but he got a little sick this week, and so he bowed out, so I bowed in, and uh, we're going to have a good time, I hope. Um, well, I know someone got a tetanus shot. Did anyone else have any holiday mishaps in this last week that you're kind of limping from? No one. Just me. Okay. You know, I was reminded recently that I'm no longer a teenager, and my body told me. <laughs> we were at a friend's house last week doing like our annual Christmas movie night. And I know Advent doesn't start until next week, but we're getting a jump start on things because the schedule's got to work out, you know. And so it was dark in the room. I got up to go to the kitchen to get a Christmas movie or a Christmas cookie, because obviously. And wouldn't you know it, I stepped on a toy, rolled my ankle, heard a pop, and kind of went down on all fours. Everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know, um, but spent the rest of the night with my foot elevated with ice pack wrapped around it as we're watching the Muppets sing their thing, right? And uh, as we're getting ready to leave, our gracious host offered me some ibuprofen for the road, and I said, well, thanks, but I actually just took some before we came for my back. <laughs> See, a few days before that, <laughs> we were at a wedding reception, and since I couldn't go, party Josiah went, we're the same person, and, but the difference being when, when the dance floor opens up, party Josiah can't sit in the back. He's got to grab his boys and run on down and start doing the twist and shout, which is great until it becomes more shouting than twisting. And by the next morning, I could hardly stand, you know? So I went to the chiropractor. She said, well, good news is your bones are fine, but you did tear some things. And that swelling is what's putting pressure on your nerve and causing this, this pain. And so for the last week and a half, I've been on these like herbal organic muscle relaxers that have valerian root in them so they smell like a stinky sock and I got to take them three times a day and of course ice and heat and that kind of thing and over the last week and a half and maybe some of you can can sympathize it's been less about finding a comfortable position and just finding whatever position hurts the least right so I have an aversion to pain does anyone else share that aversion you don't enjoy feeling pain yeah why don't we like feeling pain because it hurts. <laughs> it's profound. You can tweet that if you want. No, it, it hurts. But you know what? At the same time, I'm, very, I'm so thankful for pain because it tells us that something is wrong, right? It tells us that something is not how it should be. Torn ligaments and muscles should hurt. You know, sunburns should hurt. Broken relationships should hurt because it tells us that something's wrong. If I had three points today, the first one would be pain has a purpose. And I think when we can see the purpose, it's easier for us to get behind the idea of pain. For example, some of you traveling from the East Valley last Sunday may have seen the Ironman triathlon going on in, in Tempe and surrounding area. And there are people who pay good money to subject themselves to pain, okay? 
If you don't know what a triathlon is, it's for those who like, you know, a marathon's just not enough. And so they, uh, they sign up, they start swimming early in the morning and they have a 2.4 mile swim. Then they hop on a bicycle and ride 112 miles. Then they get off of that and they run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. And when they finish that, what do they get? Maybe a finishing trophy or something. I don't know. Good job. You, you, you survived. You know? And it's like, why would people pay for that kind of torture? And it's because the reward or the result is worth the pain for them. There's a purpose that they can see in the pain, and it may be completing this difficult task. Right? One glance at our nursery will tell you that there are at least some mothers in here who can uh, sympathize with, with what pain feels like in giving childbirth, right? This week, we were celebrating one year with our youngest, Levi, and he is just a little bundle of joy. Michelle was just saying yesterday, Baba, don't you ever grow up. Just stay sweet and insist as you are. And, and we do want him to grow up probably, but um, we want him to stay sweet. And so on his birthday's eve, as we were kind of remembering um, how it went about, we're like, okay, so it's this time a year ago, you're having contractions. What time did we call the midwife? What time did, and you know, some of you know that we had, that Levi was born at home. So Michelle didn't have, you know, the epidural or pain medications or that kind of thing, just kind of went natural. And so you have a tendency to feel a little bit of pain when that happens, right? Now, speaking as the spouse that did not push Levi out of my own body, I can say, he was worth the pain. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Michelle would ultimately agree, right? When we can see the purpose in the pain, it's a little easier to subject ourselves to it because it's worth the reward at the end. Um, Where am I? But... What about when the, scene, when the pain, when we can't see the purpose in it? Like, what is the purpose of cancer? What is the purpose of dementia? What is the purpose of someone dying in a car accident? And what is the purpose of innocent people getting caught in the crossfires of war? We are going to read out of the Bible today. If you have your, your Bibles, please turn or tap to Luke chapter 22. They kind of set the scene here. Jesus has a conversation with Peter or Simon, Simon hyphen Peter, Simon Peter, same person. Um, and he's about to tell him he's, gonna, he's fixing to go through some pain, but there's not a clear purpose defined as to why. And to set up what's happening, this is the Last Supper, right? So Jesus and his disciples have finished the meal. He's led them through communion, as we do here on a regular basis. He has, um, there's already been a fight about which of them is the greatest, you know? And I don't know if there's any boxing fans in the, in the house, but I always think of like, the greatest that ever lived. No one? Okay. All right. Um, moving right along. And then we get to this point where Jesus is like, okay, guys, hey, you know what? By the way, I forgot to tell you, I had a conversation with Satan. And they're like, what? And so we pick that up in verse 31 of chapter 22, and it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So in biblical times, a sieve was like a giant sifter, and we got a picture of what kind of could look like. 
And in this sort of ancient device, this is where wheat or grain would go into and then it would be shaken violently so that all the impurities, anything that wasn't the true grain would fall through the bottom and only the good grain would be left. So the picture that of what Satan is asking Jesus permission for here is to take all the disciples and violently shake them, cause them pain to see if they're gonna hold on to their faith or if they're gonna fall through the cracks and turn away. Does this remind you of Job? Peter was probably hoping that was Old Testament theology, you know, and he's like, oh no, now it's a new reality. And so he's, <laughs> and it's for all the disciples, but Jesus is speaking to Simon because he was kind of like the lead, you know, disciple, a little bit older than the other boys, and he was also one of the biggest mess ups and failures, <laughs> I think, that can bring us reassurance when Jesus has called us to do something. And if I was Peter, I probably would have thought, you know what, God, we already had a story like that in the Old Testament, and it worked out okay in the end. He's like, but I know that Satan asked you permission. You could just tell him no, right? I mean, when you're a Christian, doesn't like a hedge of protection go around you? Isn't there like you're suddenly safe from all things? No harm can come to you because you're, you know, you're in the fold. Why don't you just say no? and you can save your prayers. <laughs> and so Jesus didn't cause this to happen, but for some reason he allowed it to happen. And what did he pray for Peter for? That his faith may not fail. An interesting word, fail. The next bullet point, so to speak, would be pain prepares us. When we look at some of Peter's failures, we see in, Mark, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, we see where Jesus basically predicts his own death and Peter essentially rebukes him, right, for clearly defining his mission purpose. And, um, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know if you've ever been called Satan by anyone, let alone Jesus, but it's probably not a good thing, right? You're probably not living as an example of what Jesus would want you to live out, and so, fail. Matthew 26, Jesus is in the garden, and he, he asked Peter and some others to stay awake, to keep watch while he prays, and he comes back, and what are they doing? Snoozing away. Fail. Later in that same story, when Jesus is arrested and Peter grabs a sword, which first of all, he didn't have any reason doing, okay? He was not a soldier. He was not trained in combat or how to handle weapons. He was a fisherman. He could throw a net. He couldn't wield a sword, and that becomes obvious when he goes to take the guard's head off, and he misses and takes an ear. Fail. And then Jesus takes the ear and puts it back on him anyway, so the entire thing was in vain, double fail. And probably Peter's biggest and most famous failure was when he denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times, after promising him, after promising him, Jesus, I promise I would never, never, never deny you. Fail, fail, fail. And in verse 61 of Luke 22, we see, Jesus, the Lord, turns and looks straight at Peter, and Peter went outside and wept 
bitterly. Bitterly. Because I think he was just overcome by the pain of failure. It was Peter's rock bottom. And maybe there's somewhere area of your life where, where you can relate. Maybe you feel like, like you failed in your marriage or in your family. I mean, half of keeping, half of parenting is just trying not to mess your kids up too bad, right? Maybe you feel like you failed in your ministry, like things have fallen through the cracks or you haven't achieved what you wanted to achieve. Or maybe you feel like a failure in your, your finances. Oh, I should have started saving for retirement earlier. Why does it seem like everybody else my age is way better off? You know, what am I doing wrong? Maybe you feel like you failed in a relationship or in a job. But I wonder this morning if sometimes God is wanting to do something in us before he can do something through us. Romans 8.28 says that in all things, in the promotion and the layoff, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, right? Not according to our pain. James 1, beginning in verse 2, actually says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Be like, what, what? Can you like, catch Peter's vibe here? He's like, wait, what? You said what? You know, and it's like, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your, what? Faith. What did Jesus pray for Peter for? Faith. Your faith may not fail. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What if pain is actually a process of preparation for God's purpose? Back to Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But, when I, but I will pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is, sounds like he's almost talking out of both sides of his mouth because he says, I pray that your faith may not fail, and yet he knows that Peter's going to fail. And he's like, but he also knows that he's going to make a comeback. And that because he failed but leaned on God... He's gonna come back stronger than he ever was before. Enough so that he could strengthen his brothers. And if you think about it, seven weeks after he was willowing in complete failure, rock bottom, what happened? He was preaching at Pentecost and 3,000 people came to Christ like that. At the same Peter, what was the change? I'm so glad you asked. While your pain may look pointless to you right now, what if it is testing your faith? What if you're being sifted like weed and what if it is making you mature and complete and ready for whatever the next season may be but you can't start that until you've proven you can go through this season faithfully? So pain has a purpose, pain prepares us. Then I ran out of peas, so pain builds trust. A couple weeks ago, Allie was up here lifting weights, you know, looking for those gains. 
And I don't know if anyone has ever started a, like a weight routine or, or resistance training, and, but what is the hardest day? It's not the day you start, it's usually the day or two after, right? Where suddenly you're like, oh, I started a new workout routine. Everything hurts, right? Because what happens? Because the muscles, first of all, there's some you probably haven't utilized or have underutilized for a long time, but there's this, there's this rupture that's happening in the muscles. There's this rupture, but then there's repair. And through this cycle of rupture and repair, rupture, repair, over time, our muscles begin to get stronger, right? More resilient, more capable. And there's a, a psychiatrist, I don't, you may be familiar with him, Dr. Kurt Thompson. He's done, um, he's done a lot of research on like attachment theory and interpersonal neurobiology, that kind of thing. And he would suggest that these two words, rupture and repair, are actually the foundation for every healthy relationship, okay? And it kind of breaks them down into different tiers or depths or levels. And so I want to just describe kind of what these are. The most basic one is called absence and presence. And we were talking about this last night, um, but this is, this is kind of like where we start as infants, okay? So I mentioned Levi was born a year ago. He spent nine months inside of Michelle. And then when he comes out, he's being held by her. But what happens when she needs to leave the room for a few minutes? And then we saw this last night, even as Grammy, my mom, was holding Levi and she went to the room to grab a slice of pizza and come back. But he didn't know she was ever coming back, right? He just saw her leaving and thought that was that. And as adults, we've, we've learned how this works and we can communicate, obviously, at higher levels. But, but in its simplest form, there's trust that is broken when she leaves. But then there's a rupture, but then there's a repair when she comes back in the room. And over time, this leaving and coming, this absence and then presence over time becomes the building blocks of trust. And it ends not only in childhood because, you know, Michelle can trust that I'm going to come home after work because I've done it hundreds of times, right? There's a, there's a repetitious pattern of predictability, so to speak. So absence and presence, kind of the next degree of, of, fail, is, uh, of rupture and repair would be failure and recovery. So failure may or may not um, also be fault, okay? It could be, like you may create a pattern, say, hey, sorry, I'm running late, I lost track of the clock, I'm gonna be there eventually. And as you can tell, if that happens enough times, people just become to begin to trust, well, they're gonna be late. <laughs> you know, that's the pattern that we've seen. So there can be fault, but not necessarily. Think of this pandemic that we went through the last few years. A lot of our failure was linked to something that we didn't cause, you know? And when you look at how many parents had to figure out, okay, I gotta, now I gotta teach my kid in the living room each day, or now I'm remote working suddenly and there's kids running around like crazy people. How is this supposed to work? You just feel like you're failing at everything you put your hands to. You know, at the workplace, how do I retain non-essential personnel or do we just lay them off? You know, it's just feeling of failure. And in the church world, it was really, really hard. And it's like, what do we do? I have no idea. You know, I'm thankful that we, that we, um, get to serve under Pastor Kurt because this is not the first situation. 
that he has had to navigate through that was not of his doing. And he has a history of being able to take someone else's failure and help us recover from it as an organization, as a team. And so we, over time, as we see this, we can see, okay, now the next time something happens, we're gonna make it. This failure and recovery. And then kind of the, the next level down would be sin and forgiveness. So not just failure, but fault. Broken promises, betrayal. This is where Peter found himself in his darkest hour of failure. But then forgiveness. And forgiveness is more than just recovery to a former state. Forgiveness somehow multiplies. You're stronger because of what you've experienced, what you've gone through. And that's why Peter, seven weeks later, understanding what real forgiveness is, understanding what the power of the cross, of the resurrection is, understanding the authority that God has given him, preached. People got saved. Now I would suggest that all trust is built on rupture and repair, even our relationship with God. And you may think, but I thought God was unchanging. I thought God never fails. That's correct. Thought he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. But we don't automatically have 100% trust in him because we build trust through rupture and repair. You say, well, how does that work then if God never fails? We live in a ruptured world. And I think it's pretty easy to see that. How many of you have heard from someone at some point in your life, something to the extent of, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? I'm sure Peter was wondering the same thing. But did you know? That without pain, without loss, Without heartache, without evil in the world, we would have no reason to trust God. There would be no reason. You cannot have good or a comprehension of good without having bad. It would be meaningless. If nothing bad ever happened, then nothing good could ever happen because they are mutually exclusive and It's by that contrast that we understand and give meaning to each of these words, right? So in order for anything good to ever happen, bad things have to happen. And even though God doesn't cause them, sometimes he allows them. We grow to trust him more and more, not by avoiding pain, but by going through the pain with God. Think of that old song, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Trust is not static. It's not something that just sits there until it's broken. It's something that is built over time through this cycle of rupture and Repair. 
year and a half ago, my stepdad passed away pretty quickly and un unexpectedly. Two days later, I saw my mom down on this front row with her hands raised, singing, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. We may not choose pain, but did you know that joy is available in the pain when we choose God? Nehemiah 8.10 tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Hebrews 12, three, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you get that? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus embraced the pain because he believed you were worth it. He believed you were worth it. He believed you and I were worth the pain. The result or the reward was worth the pain. And what I would assume to be probably the most pain ever. Not only was he the only person, Scripture says, that was ever forsaken by God, but in that moment as he was being crucified brutally on a cross, he also took on all of the sin of the world, past, present, and future. It was all heaped on him in that moment. And it was worth it. See, Jesus had an eternal perspective. He knew that even his deepest agony was not gonna seem very deep after a few thousand years. Right, he had this eternal perspective. The, uh, last week I had this repetitive dream. So one particular night I would fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep, wake up, and so on. And each time I fell asleep, I would kind of enter back into the same dream except for it was starting from a different location. And I basically found myself in a city trying to find my way home. But I was always at least 20 minutes from the, the nearest bus stop or train station. And each time was a little different in the, the experiences that I had or with the people that I encountered along the way. But then at some point, I would wake up and find myself in my own bed with my family nearby and think, it was just a dream. And I wonder if some element of that might be what heaven is like. That what seems so heavy here on earth when we wake up with spiritual eyes to see new realities they won't seem like as big of a deal anymore. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 17 kind of resonates with this thought. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And you may think, okay, 
This pain doesn't feel light or momentary, right? You don't don't know the depth of this hurt, of this wound. I've been struggling with chronic pain for years. It doesn't feel momentary. But when compared to seeing Jesus face to face, it may become a little less prevalent. And 10,000 years from now, when someone asks, hey, do you remember that thing on earth? Do you remember that, that pain you went through, that diagnosis? Let's see, earth, earth, earth. You know, in the grand scheme of things, even our deepest sorrows are light and momentary. You know, next week, as Ali mentioned earlier, we begin the season of Advent, and this is a season of preparation for Christmas. Some of you think that Christmas starts like the day after Thanksgiving, right? Technically, the Christmas season begins on December the 25th and then runs for 12 days. That's why there's 12 days of Christmas until Epiphany on January 6th, okay? So that's the Christmas season. Advent is the season of preparation leading up to it. And for... I encourage you, if you don't have the devotional yet, please make sure you grab one on the way out because not only is it a great thing for us to be literally on the same page (laughs) together as we're reading devotionals or prayer thoughts and that kind of stuff, um, it's just, it's a unifying thing to do together, but also such a powerful reflection on the season at hand. And the first reading, spoiler alert for next Sunday, the third begins with Psalm 80, which is a communal lament of the people of God who've recognized that there is so much pain and suffering in the world. There is so much that is not as it should be. They're crying out for a savior. And as we remember Christ's first coming in the manger, we also look forward with great expectation and anticipation of his second coming, when all will be made right in the world as he reconciles the earth That's the season that we are entering into, and and it's a season of waiting. I heard someone say years ago, you know, when you're waiting, are you waiting well? Sometimes we can wait, and we're just like, okay, God, whenever you're ready, I'll be here. Go ahead. And then we get impatient when he's not answering our prayer, and, and if we're not careful, we can kind of pull ourselves off the sideline. Well, because it hasn't happened yet, I'm just waiting for it to start so I can join in. But what if we learn to wait well? Okay, what can I step into now while I'm waiting? There's a video that we've played here before multiple times. Some of you have probably seen it multiple times, um, but I love it. And it kind of sets the framework for this season of reflection and waiting that we are headed into called Advent. So go ahead and turn your attention to the screen, if you would. The people had read of this rescue that was coming through the bloodline of Abraham. And they had seen where Micah proclaimed about a ruler to be born in Bethlehem. And Daniel prophesied about the restoration of Jerusalem. Isaiah's cry about the Son of God coming to them. So for them, it was anticipation. 
This groaning was growing generation after generation, knowing he was holy no matter what the situation, but they longed for him. They yearned for him. They waited for him on the edge of their seats, on the edge of where excitement and containment meet. They waited. Like a child watches out the window for their father to return from work, they waited. Like a groom stares at the double doors at the back of the church, they waited. And in their waiting, they had hope. Hope that was fully pledged to a God they had not seen. To a God who had promised a king. A king who would reign over the enemy, over Satan's tyranny. They waited. And so it was centuries of expectations with various combinations of differing schools of thought. Some people expecting a political king who would rise to the throne through the wars that he fought, while others expecting a priest who would restore peace through the penetration of the Pharisees' facade. Yet a baby, 100% human, 100% God. And so the word became flesh and was here to dwell among us in his fullness, grace upon grace, Jesus. You see, through him and for him, all things were created, and in him all things are sustained. God had made himself known for the glory of his name, and this child would one day rise as king, but it would not be by the sword or an insurgent regime. It would be by his life. A life that would revolutionize everything the world knew. He would endure temptation and persecution all while staying true. Humbly healing the broken, the sick and hurting too. Ministering reconciliation, turning the old to new. A life that would be the very definition of what life really costs. Saying, if you desire life, then your crown must be lost. And he would portray that with his own life as his father would pour out and exhaust. And he would be obedient to the point of death even death upon a cross. And so just 33 years after the day that he laid swaddled in the hay, he hung on a tree, suffocating, dying in our place, absorbing wrath that is rightly ours, but we could never bear the weight. And so he took that punishment and he put it in the grave and he died. And when I say that he died, what I mean is that he died. There's no breath. There's no heartbeat, there's no sign of life. You see, God is a God of justice, and the penalty for our sin equals death. That's what Christ did on the cross. And then just three days later, in accordance with the scriptures, he was raised from the grave. And when I say that he was raised, what I mean is that he was raised. Lungs breathing, heart pumping, blood pulsing through his veins. The things that he promised were true. He is the risen son of God, offering life to me and you, turning our mourning into dancing, our weeping into laughing, our sadness into joy. By his mercy, we are called his own. By his grace, we will never be left alone. By his love, he is preparing our home. And by his blood, we sing before his throne that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. 
so now we as his bride are the ones waiting like the saints that came before us we're anticipating he has shown us that this world is fading and he has caused our desire to be for him and so church stay ready keep your heart focused and your eyes steady worship him freely never forgetting his great love for you Emmanuel God with us Would you stand with me? That's the season that we're headed into. Emmanuel, God with us. He will return to one day right every wrong, but until then, may you learn to embrace your pain May you see God's goodness in it and experience true joy. May, you pre- may it prepare you and strengthen you for your God-given purpose, and may you learn what real trust is all about. That you would find it worth it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in the grace and peace of our coming King. Amen.